0: Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part one of episode 33 in the book of John, entitled, Warnings of Persecution, where we discuss John chapter 16, verses one through 15. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today?
1: Well, we need to understand the context. Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night before he's crucified, and he is getting them ready, and through them, 20 centuries of Christians ready, for a very difficult relationship with the surrounding world, mm. persecution. At the end of this chapter, he's gonna say, I've, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. So that they, their expectations would be set properly. And we're gonna see, he'll say, the reason I'm telling you this is so that when these things happen, you won't lose your faith. Mm. So the warnings help us to expect persecution and not lose our faith when it comes.
0: Well, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 15 of John chapter 16 so that we can hear the passage that we're looking at today. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you." Andy, as this passage begins, why did Jesus warn his disciples, and you mentioned this a little in your overview, but why did Jesus warn his disciples about the coming persecution, and how could being ignorant of the coming persecution be the cause for stumbling?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what we're looking at here really is the danger of apostasy, of people um, professing faith in Christ and then at a later time disavowing Christ, Mm. saying that they do not follow him, they do not believe in him. So what we have to do is we have to say this is a genuine threat that while we live in this world, we must continue to believe in Jesus. We can't believe for a while and then not believe. We have to believe to the end. It's not those who start, but those who finish. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. So we have to persevere to the end of our lives. We believe that our perseverance is not in and of itself guaranteed. It's not some ironclad thing. It requires, honestly, the grace of God, the energy, the power of God, pouring into our hearts to keep us believing, especially with the world, the flesh, and the devil set against our faith. Mm. So we should never believe that our faith is in and of itself secure. It requires the ongoing intercessory ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the ongoing work of the Father to sustain our faith. So we believe that these warnings that he gives here, like other warnings, like in the book of Hebrews, are essential to us finishing the journey that we will not apostatize, but rather we'll finish our lives believing in Jesus. I am a Calvinist. I am reformed in my theology. I believe in uh, once justified, always justified be a better way to say it. I do Mm -hmm. believe in the security of the saints. I do believe in it. I think that we will get what we need, but it's dynamic. We must have the ongoing intercessory ministry of Jesus, and we must be warned by texts like these so that we do not fall away or stumble Uh, out of our faith in Christ.
0: Now, in verse 2, Jesus predicts that one of the persecutions that his disciples will face is being put out of the synagogue. How would this have affected the life of a Jew in the first century?
1: Well, Paul said in Romans 1, to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. So, the word first means, in chronological order, the gospel came first to the Jews. God sent his son first to the descendants of Abraham, and then after that, to uh, the Gentiles, Jesus himself said to the Syrophoenician woman, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And so there is a, uh, he also said to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So there is this sequence. So the gospel comes first to the Jews. Hmm. uh, But we find that the Jews consistently in John's gospel are divided between light and darkness, between believers and unbelievers, between those that are Christ's sheep and those that aren't. And so here's the thing, the Jews were in synagogues. The synagogue just means a gathering. Like for us, it would be like a local church. Uh, but the synagogue represents the assembly of Jewish religious life of Jewish society, but it was more than that. It also had an economic side to it. It, w- it was to be a member in good standing of Jewish society. Now it says in John 9, we've already seen this, that the Jews had already, while Jesus was alive, decided that if anyone said that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, was the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. Mm. That's already in John 9. Mm -hmm. So that's only gonna get more the official policy of the Jewish nation. Annas and Caiaphas are going to reject Jesus finally once for all, tearing their robes, they're going to reject him as the Messiah, they're gonna reject him entirely. That's the official position of the Jewish nation. If you get put out of the synagogue, what it meant for you was not only that you could not worship on the Sabbath, and go and assemble with your fellow Jews and hear the, hear the scripture read. Not only all of that, but I think you would have a very hard time making a living. You wouldn't be able to, you'd, you'd be boycotted. If you were a carpenter, they wouldn't buy your tables and chairs. Mm. If you were a potter, they wouldn't buy your pottery. So they were going to have significant economic problems. This is why I believe the apostle Paul raises money among Gentile Christians for the poor among the believers in Judea mm. and Jerusalem. It's because of this very reason.
0: Jesus also goes on to predict that the hour is coming when whoever kills Jesus' disciples will think that they're offering service to God. How is it possible that people who kill Christians will think that they're serving God by doing it? And where have we seen this happen even in history?
1: Well, we have to start uh, with really the dividing line goes back to Deuteronomy 18 with the uh, the prophet or the office of the prophet and God will raise up, Moses said, a prophet like me. And really, uh, you, you had to make a, a clear, accurate, right decision about that prophet. Anyone claiming to speak in the name of the Lord had to be validated specifically by predictive prophecy that came true. Mm. And if you saw those predictions come true, then he was a true prophet from God, and anyone who did not listen to him would be cut off from the people. So if you didn't listen to the true prophet, culminating in Jesus, the book of Hebrews says, in the past God spoke through through the, uh, his prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken by his son. God's final word to the human race mm. is Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if you get cut off from the people for not listening to a prophet, how much more for not listening to the son of God? Conversely though, if Jesus really were a false prophet, then he needed to be cut off. He needed to be, to be executed as a blasphemer and anyone who followed him would be following blasphemy. It, had, it was right or wrong, it was light or dark. You had to get it right, yeah. but they got it wrong. And there was so much evidence that Jesus was in fact the Son of God, evidence of his miracles, evidence of his, of his uh, teachings, of the, the uh, testimony of John the Baptist. There was all this evidence, they got it wrong. And so fundamentally uh, what's going on here is that people who are persecuting Jesus, like Saul of Tarsus before he was converted, really felt they were serving God. Hmm. They were purging Israel of a deceiver and his followers.
0: Wow. Now in verses three and four, what reason does Jesus give for this evil behavior? And how will it help the disciples while they're persecuted to remember that Jesus predicted it long before it happened?
1: Right, They don't know the Father, and he's going to pray about this in the very next chapter in John Mm -hmm. 17. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I know you. And uh, he also says in John 17, 3, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. They're dead. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, they're dead in their transgressions and sins. The fundamental essence of their deadness is they don't know God. Mm. And if they don't know God, they don't know God's Son. That's why they're going to persecute Christ's followers, because they don't know God and they don't know his son.
0: Now, why had Jesus waited until now to tell them these things?
1: Well, I think he's going to say uh, in a moment, I have much to say to you more than you can bear, and we'll get to that. But I think little by little by little, as they're growing, as they understand some things, he lays heavier and heavier truths on them. Hmm. So I think sometimes he just laid it on people right away. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. You want to follow me? You won't have a place to sleep tonight. Mm. But I think just knowing you will be a martyr for me. You are going to have your head cut off or you're going to be crucified upside down or whatever. Will you follow me anyway?" It's like, well, that's a lot to ask in the first 36 hours of knowing Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I think Jesus, little by little, helped the people get to know who he was, spent time with him, they saw him do miracles, they became more convinced of who he was, and then he laid heavier and heavier truths on them, including they're going to have a very hard life if they're his apostles. Yeah.
0: Now in verses five and six, where does Jesus say he's going, and how are the disciples reacting to Jesus' words?
1: Well, he's going to the Father, the one who sent him. And he says it again and again, I'm going to him who sent me. I'm going to the Father who sent me. I'm going back to heaven. I'm mm-hmm. going to ascend. And so uh, as a result, um, you know, he says, none of you ask me where you're going. I don't. I, I really have a sense of mental bewilderment on the, at this part, you know, they, at this point. It's like I think they're filled with grief. They know something big is happening, big is happening but I don't think they fully understood it. They didn't expect the resurrection. I mean, they're all questioning it, they didn't believe. So um, they didn't expect the crucifixion either. They're just reeling. And so why he says, none of you asked me where I'm going, I think they don't ask him anything. They're just like, I don't know that they got hardly anything of what was happening there. So he says, I'm going back to the Father, and none of you asked me where are you going.
0: Mm. I think we've all had those moments where we're asked, you know, does anyone have any questions and we're still trying to absorb the information yeah. and process what's just been said and maybe, but there's just a lot to take in. And
1: yeah, they frequently didn't understand. Jesus mm. at one point on the parable of, of not parable, but the declaring all foods clean, they wanted him to explain it and Jesus said, are you still so dull? I you mean, know, are you that stupid? You know, it's like, and it's like, yes, they kind of are, but they represent us all. We we all don't quite get it. We don't yeah. get what's happening. But they knew something big was happening, and as a result, Jesus said, because of the way I'm talking to you, you're all filled with grief.
0: Mm. Now, some people say it would be better to have lived in the day of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. when he walked the earth. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says here, it's better now for believers. Why is that?
1: Yeah, it's really quite a remarkable say He makes yeah. a number of remarkable statements in the section we're looking at today. But he says, I tell you the truth, it is to your benefit that I go away. Hmm. Now let's just start with them. We'll start with the disciples themselves. They actually ate with Jesus, talked with him, saw him do miracles. They had a life such as all of us would have yearned if I could have only been one of the apostles. Would have been incredible. Jesus says even for them, five years after the pe- day of Pentecost, hmm. better. Better than having one of the days of the son of man on earth.
0: Wow.
1: That's what is what we have to just believe it's true. Right. It is for just you tw- 12, not counting Judas, now 11. For you 11, it's better for you if I go away. Now this has to do with the incredible power, the potency of the ministry of the third person of the Trinity, mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what it's all about. So this is how I unravel it. This is how I understand it. Do you remember the story about the four men that brought the paralyzed man to Jesus uh, to be healed, but they mm-hmm. had a logistical problem. Do you remember what it was?
0: Yeah, they couldn't get to Jesus because get of the ground. Yeah.
1: And so what do they do? They dig a hole in the roof. They <laughs> dug a hole in the roof. That's a logistical challenge. Yeah. Now, that's a lot of perseverance, but that's rough. To have to go through all that to get to Jesus. Mm. Now these, um, the 12, 11 now, they had special access. But even, you know, um, nine of them were not allowed to go up the Mount of Transfiguration, just the inner three. Gethsemane too. Uh, Peter, James, and John had special access. It just had to do with the spatiality and physicality of Jesus' incarnation. He's here mm. and nowhere else. Yeah. Um, but Jesus sends the Spirit, and he's called the Spirit of Christ. And so in the Spirit's coming, we are, all of us, including all 11 of the apostles, able to have continual access to Jesus. You can get to him any time you want mm. through the Spirit. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is ministering Jesus to us. So the 11 would scatter. They would go to all different geographical locations, but Jesus would be able to say in the Great Commission, surely I am with all of you wherever you go from now till the end of the age. That's only by the Holy Spirit of God. So it is to their advantage that they uh, go away. I almost can't say enough about this because we, I believe, I do, we all underestimate what we have in the gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't quite realize what an advantage we have. Here. Mm. We think I would much rather have been there and see the walking on the water or the feeding of the 5,000. It's like, no, it's still better. If you could have one and not the other or the other and not the one, it's much better to have the indwelling Holy Spirit than to be able to see Jesus physically.
0: Well, thanks so much, Andy. This has been part one of episode 33 in the book of John. We'd invite you to join us next time as we continue our conversation for part two of episode 33. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content
1: to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification,